Open your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 13. We're continuing our series and come to verses 8, 9, and 10 this morning of Romans 13. It was a privilege of mine this week to um, pray, pray with a couple that uh, came to faith in Christ for the first time. And as, as we were praying, you know, I was thinking about this verse. So they're coming to faith in Christ uh, in the middle of their life. And they're stuck when they, you get a verse like this that, um, like, wow, I wish I'd have known that when I was a kid. Here it is. Oh, nothing to anyone except love. So, oh, nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm already in debt. How do, I, how do I deal with this dynamic? God knows where you are. When I read this passage this morning, God knows where you are. He knows if you're heavily in debt. He knows if you're out of debt. He knows your situation. And he's certainly got grace to get you where you need to be. So um, don't feel like you've got to be like everybody else. God's very particular in how he... He deals with each of us. But let's hear God's word. Uh, Romans 13, the first seven verses you saw last week, tells us we just need to be immersed into society, living under the authority of our governments uh, submissively. So now that we're in society, he's telling us how to live there. Verse 8, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, as we look at this passage and think about it this morning, just what it means to be owing no one anything but love, my mind immediately goes, well, that's easy to do if I'm a millionaire or a billionaire, right? And I'm, I, I can buy my way out of debt. I could take care of everything. I, I don't have to give you anything but love. I, I'm not owing anybody, but God doesn't say we need to be millionaires. He doesn't say we need to be billionaires. As a matter of fact, I can't find any place really in the scripture where it says you need to make more money than what you're gifted and able to make. We're, we're all in different cultures, different contexts, different gifts, different abilities. We're not all going to be able to do the same thing as other people are able to do. And God's not saying we have to. He's not saying go make a little bit more money so you can get out of debt. Right where you are. He said, there, there's a way to owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. The priority is clearly on love. So we, whatever you want to do with the text, you can't jump away from that. The priority is to love our neighbor, to be neighborly in love towards everyone that we're around. Uh, we misplace uh, that priority. When we get into life and we have to pay bills, right? No one ever taught me this. And it just dawned on me one day when somebody was asking me, can, can you help me out a little bit here? And I thought, I love you. I don't love you well, but I love you. I want to love you even more. But dude, I got bills to pay. If I give money to help you out, 
then I can't pay my bills. And if I can't pay my bills, then I'm hurting somebody else that loaned me the money for that service. So how do we do it? You see, it's tied to, to loving our neighbor. We, to love our neighbors, we've got to deal with our finance. Or we will not be able to love them well. And that's why Jesus puts it together here. You've got to owe no man anything but love. And it's a difficult place to be in when you want to do something, but you know, I got, certainly i got to get my own house in order first. And if I love you the way you are asking me to love you or the way maybe you need to be loved, then I can't pay my mortgage and I can't pay my car bill and I can't pay my lights and utilities and everything that goes with that. And certainly I've got to do that first. So how do we really love one another? Well, I see three kind of verbs here. We have to be paying, paying our debts, obviously. We have to be obeying God's commandments. He makes it very strong here. The, the law is His command. He wants us to obey it. We've got to be neighborly. These three things are in the text. Let's start with paying our debts. It's necessary for love. We must pay our debts. We must deal with the, the word owe. Owe nothing. The, the verb owe is, is present tense, which means don't keep on owing someone something. Now, that doesn't immediately rule out a mortgage. It doesn't immediately rule out um, credit cards. Why? Because when you have a mortgage or you have a credit card, you have a contractual agreement that you may have a, a whole amount that's a large amount that is due, but the contractual agreement breaks it up into incremental amounts. So long as you've paid the incremental amount when it's due, the creditor doesn't consider that you owe it all. Not now, anyway. You've paid your debt. So you're not continuing to owe long as you pay it on time. So it has to be a timely payment per the contract, and then you're not continuing to owe. So he's, he's not completely wiping that whole process out at all. You are uh, paying your obligations, and by paying your obligations, you're then free to do whatever else you need to do. Catch with that is trouble. Trouble, tribulations come, right? And when you get something that's unexpected, now how do you pay? So your car engine blows up, or you're in an accident, it wasn't your fault, and you can't go to work, and now all of a sudden, paying those bills, paying off those contracts in a timely way becomes burdensome because of trouble and trials. And troubles and trials are guaranteed. We will all have them. So how do we owe no man anything but love when troubles and trials come? Or we get sick, we catch COVID, we're in the ICU for... 10 weeks, we come out, and then we've got medical bills for the next 18 months. It just won't go away. How do we owe no man anything but love? So when those troubles and trials come, I think God wants to prepare us for that and to know how to um, deal with those kind of situations. It requires a budget. Some people don't like the, the term budget or don't 
want to talk about it, but it's just really being honest with what God's given us. How much do we have? And how are we to allocate it? That's, a, that's your budget. And you, you need to know that, or you will quickly be living on more than you should be living on. Your budget should not only include your obligations, but it should include some amount. You can call it what you want, an emergency amount, a contingency amount. It should include some amount for those troubles. When the troubles come, they are inevitable. How do you take care of those and still meet your other obligations? And by not budgeting, by not having that emergency fund or that contingency account, you can't continue to love. You just get focused on your own self and your own debt and missing the obligations that God has for us here. So I want us to think through how can we be loving others if we're spending all our time just paying for our own debts, paying for ourselves. Um, we need to think about other people's needs ahead of ourselves. You've got to start with a principle. And the principle is, as we just sang, of God's amazing love. He's our king. You've got to start with the principle that because God is in charge, he's our king, we are his servants. And as servants, he requires of us a stewardship. Let me just give you one verse to show you that. Look at First Chronicles chapter 29. This is uh, David's, King David's prayer, and he presents principles that are true uh, through this prayer. First Chronicles 29, beginning at verse 10. So David blessed the Lord in sight of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion. O Lord, you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Now, that's just an amazingly succinct statement of God's sovereignty, his control over everything, and especially even over finance and money. And he says, every amount of money you have, you've been given that by God. He has designed this world, your gifts, your abilities, your culture, all of that in such a way that you have what you have. Because he's done that, you, I, we're responsible to God. He's the king. He requires of us a certain stewardship. So it forces us back into the word to say, God, what do you want me to do with these rich blessings you've given me? It should be directed back to him. How does he want me to budget? How does he want me to do finance? Because ultimately he wants to get me to the place where I owe no man anything but love. So how can we be good stewards and manage life well with the resources God gives us? I want to share, you the, share with you the plan that God's taught me through his word. And that's the plan, I, you could call it the Joseph plan, because Joseph was the one where I first learned it. You can call it the 10, 20, 70 plan. Never seen it anywhere other than the Bible. And I just want us to think through it, because this is the one God approved and put in his word. Uh, to look at it, look at uh, Genesis 41. Here's a summary of it. Genesis 41, 
34 through 37. Genesis 41. And if you remember the story, uh, the Egypt was having a, a great famine. God had raised up Joseph to lead Egypt. And he being told Joseph ahead of time, there's going to be seven years of prosperity and there's going to be seven years of famine. How are you going to manage that? And all of our lives aren't maybe that uh, precise that you know you've got seven years of good stuff and seven years of bad stuff. But the more I thought about it, even even that scenario, um, what if our 10-year-olds got this, what I'm about to say. And at 10 years old, most of you, not all of you, but a lot of us at 10 years old, we've got 10 good years. Where we're living under our parents' authority, they're taking care of all the expenses. we got seven good years to store up. It's not seven, ten. Till we get to 20 or 21, and we're out on our own, out in the world. Or we're graduating college and doing something. What if we were taught at age 10 to save, 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 so that by the time we were 21, we can buy a house debt-free in our realm? It's a used house. It's a used car. But we could do that because it's, it's, it's doable. And there's just so few people even thinking that way, that you've got 10 great years, and then you're going to have 10 years of trouble. How are you prepared for that? Well, that's really what Joseph was faced with. Notice how he does it. Uh, Genesis 41, verse 34. He says, Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land, and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt. So a fifth is 20%, okay? That's where I'm going to get the 10, 20, 70. Exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt, in seven years of abundance. And then uh, let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority. And let them guard it. And let the food become a reserve. So there's your reserve fund, reserve account, or emergency fund. For the land for seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Well, that's the proposal God gave Joseph for the Pharaoh, and God blessed it. So God giving us that insight is a plan we can use as well. Let me break it down for you. So the tithe amount, the first, first one you have there is 10%. Well, we know from other scripture that God wants us to give the first of everything he gives to us, since he's the author of every good and perfect gift, since he's given us all of our riches, he says, acknowledge me first as your king. So our giving of tithes, the first 10%, is, is a tribute we bring to our king. We acknowledge him uh, first. A couple of verses on that. Proverbs chapter 3 is a great place to start just to think about um, how to give your first 10%. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first 
of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So what a glorious promise. God says, if you give your first 10%, if it's really an honor, it should be an act of worship. Lord, I'm honoring you because everything you gave, I want to give you. People all the time tell me, say, well, David, I, I don't make enough to tithe. I can't afford to tithe. I said, you, you got the whole thing wrong. The tithe is what you give first. You don't even stop and ask, can I make it? You honor the Lord because everything you have, He has given. It's, it's an honor. It's a worship act. And it's done first. We're going to get to how you live on the rest. But this is, that's never a question. You, what God gives, you take the first fruits, you give it back to Him. Acknowledging that you wouldn't have had anything had He not given you what you have. So you acknowledge that, that first part. Uh, he calls it a tithe over in Malachi. Ma the word tithe just simply means 10%. So Malachi chapter 3, I'll just share a little of that maybe um, for the first 10% and we'll move on. But Malachi chapter 3, Malachi being the last book of the Bi uh, Old Testament, God says in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. They said, How? Have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings, you're cursed with the curse. See, Proverbs 3 says, you're going to be blessed with a blessing if you tithe. You don't tithe, you're cursed with a curse. Which is the reason many of us are in debt, because we're receiving the curses of God as opposed to the blessings of God. So start with the tithe, the 10%. You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the, yield, in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. Some of you don't even realize your battle is not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And Satan here is called a devourer. And sometimes you're wondering, what else can break? What else can go wrong? Why is all of my wealth being devoured? It's, it's just, I thought I had enough and now it's going, going. And God says, well, it's because I'm not rebuking the devourer. And I'm not going to rebuke the devourer until you give the tithe, you're robbing me. You're, you, you're acting like a thief. You're stealing from God. And there are consequences. So to get out of debt the way God wants us to, let's start with honoring Him. We're stewards. He's our King. He's Lord. The first 10% goes to God, just as His Word says. And then this spiritual battle we have, God takes care of it. He holds back the devourer so the devourer can't take from you. And he begins to let you receive even more blessings than you imagine you would have when you give the 10, your blessings go up. After the 10% you've given to the Lord, the tithe amount, then comes what I've called the trials amount, the trouble. What amount do you need to deal with trouble? to deal with trials like Joseph had. Joseph said, we need 20%. We need a fifth. Every time we get some resources from God, 
let's give our tithe and let's give 20% for reserve. So obviously now, uh, if you give 20% for reserve, you're teaching yourself to live off 70%. And you're living off the last 70%. And that's why I call it the trust amount. I'm trusting God to enable me to live with 70% of my income. 10% went to Him. The other 20%, actually, I'll, I'll be blessed by that as well. But that 20% goes into reserve. And in reserve, it's there for when the troubles come. And it will be sufficient to take care of those troubles. The important thing we have to do is not rob from category one and two for, in order to live for category three. Don't rob or get into your reserve unless it's truly something you need to be in your reserve for. Because then you're not really trusting to live off of the 70%. So your budget really ought to start. What are my living expenses with that 70% amount? Um, we go to creditors and they ask, what do you make? And they, they'll take it all. And you need to say, no, you can't have the first 10. And you can't have the next 20. When you determine what I can afford, it's going to start with that 70% number. Because I want to live within the means God has given me. And when you live there, you see God bless. Just as he blessed Joseph, he will bless us. Then we can be good stewards, and then we can obey Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything but love. Because when the troubles come, we, we have the money in the reserve to pay what we need to pay, and we can still give people love. Instead of making it all about us. Um, there's freedom in that plan. Um, imagine going on a, a, a road trip. Pick, pick your best destination. It doesn't matter. Let's say the youth group is going to Colorado. Pick, pick Colorado. I'm going to Colorado. Well, when you make a trip, you make a plan. To get there, I need X amount of dollars spending money. I need to be able to go to gas stations if I'm driving. And when I get there, I want to do this. I want to do that. When you have a good plan, then you just, oh, this is going to be so exciting. You just feel free because you know where you're going and you've already developed contingencies for whatever happens along the way. That's what a budget is. It gives you the freedom to get where you need to get. I want to get you to Romans 13, 8 in obedience. And to get you to obey Romans 13, 8, to owe no man anything but love, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a budget that gives you the freedom to get there and to obey. I encourage you to, to really think through your stewardship under God and the plan God's put in place because this is not something that's being taught in most schools, most homes, most places today. And it's hurting the church. A lot of the church, this church, gets the, the tithe part. But let's get the trust part and the reserve part um, as well so that we can obey God's commands that are necessary. Um, verse 8, Owen oh, nothing. Romans 13, to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now God is mentioning a very specific law here. 
Look at James chapter 2. There it's called the royal law. And I think that's pretty much what he's, he's referring to here. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, If however you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, and here he, he, describes, he states it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So uh, he's talking about people coming into the church and you're loving some and you're not loving the others. How do we obey this royal law to love our neighbor as ourselves? Uh, that's what he wants us to fulfill. Uh, and then he, he mentions the neighborly commands that are in the Ten Commandments. You go back to Romans 13. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Love your neighbor as yourself. You think about those commands. That defines the love he's talking about. For me to love you, I can't commit adultery with your spouse. That wouldn't be loving, would it? No. For me to love you, what's another one? Uh, I can't murder your spouse or murder your kids or murder someone in your family. No, that wouldn't be loving. For me to love you, I can't steal from you. I've got to pay what I owe. For me to love you, um, I can't covet your stuff. I can't be envious of your new car and your green grass. I've got to be content with who God made me in order to love you well. That's the royal law he's talking about. And I can't get there in obedience there if I'm owing you. That's why he says, don't be owing. Be loving to your neighbor. Oh. Jesus gives an illustration of this in Mark chapter 10. Let's look at that. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. This is the story of the, the, the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 says, and I'm going to read until about verse 23. It says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man came up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. See, we get the same list. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not fear false witness. Don't defraud your neighbor. Honor your father and mother. So they threw, threw another one in there. Uh, verse 20, and, and he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, and he was one who owned much property, and Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Now, 
this is not a passage where Jesus is illustrating how to get to heaven, how to earn heaven. This is a passage that's illustrating how to observe those who are heavenly. He says, when you look at this rich man, you don't observe someone who's entering heaven. Because this rich man loves his wealth more than he loves his God and more than he loves his neighbor. And we've got to get out of that bondage. We've got to owe no man anything but love. We need to love our neighbor. And we need to love our God. And you can love your God and your neighbor by starting with the tithe and starting with the trials amount and starting with the trust amount. When you do that, you can get to the path of, of a heavenly person that's free to give and be generous because you know exactly where you are and exactly where you stand and you can pay all of your debts and take care of the things that are happening around you. Uh, that's where God wants us. The same list in Romans 13 is the reason for the no adultery, the reason for the no murder, the reason for not stealing, the reason for not coveting is so that you can fulfill the law of loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law that God gives us. The world divorces law, don't they? they, they say, I don't want to be bound by God's law. I just want to be free to do what I want to do. Well, you can't love people without the law. If I have a desire to have an affair, well, see, that would be contrary to the law, and so I end up hurting people. It doesn't end up loving people. If I have the desire for your stuff, and while you're gone, I just go get it. It's, what would keep me from getting it? Law. We should be wed to the law. The law's good. It's royal. It's holy. It's righteous. It gives us the tracks to run on. To love our neighbor and to love it well, which is why Romans 13 says, love will keep you in the law and doing the law, fulfilling the law. The world doesn't know love because it doesn't know God's law and has divorced itself from it. We've got a nation now running rampant, ignoring constitutions and laws and thinking that's going to give us freedom. It's just going to give us destruction and hate. And God wants the church to be known as those who are constantly giving love and not those in bondage to debt. We need to be neighborly. Verse 9 and 10 of Romans, uh, that's, that's the, imp the impact. For this, he says, you shall not commit adultery, not murder, shall not steal, shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it's summed up. Any other commandment like this? Summed up, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. What is the no wrong? How would you define no wrong here? You have to define the wrong as being something that's contrary to law. He just mentioned the laws. The one who loves does no wrong, doesn't break the law, and because he doesn't break the law, he's helping his neighbor, he's not hurting his neighbor. Therefore, love is 
the fulfillment, verse 10, of the law. Um, I want to be a debtor to you. I want to owe you love. That's where God wants us. I want to owe you love. I don't want to owe you anything else. I just want to owe you love. Paul described himself in Romans 1. He says, I'm a debtor to the Greek. I'm a debtor to the Jew. And what he meant there is, I owe them love. We get so in bondage to owing creditors that we can't owe people love. And that's where the church should be known for its love. A light in this world, always saying, I just want to give you love, man. I just want to love you. I just want to care for you. I don't want to take from you. I don't want to desire your stuff. I don't want to be you. I want to be what Christ has called me to be. I want to do no wrong. And to do no wrong, I've got to know God's standard. And that standard is clearly given to us in His commands. What is some of the application? Well, there's an overwhelming demand to to create love, is there not? And if there's an overwhelming command to create love, we've got to teach law. We've got to teach the value of church. We've got to teach the value of Scripture. We've got to teach the value of coming together under the authority and kingship of Christ. That's the hope for this world being revived and changed, is that we, we get back to the standard of God's law, and that law is going to lead us just straight to love, to owe no man anything but love. What a wonderful church we have, promoting a life-changing faith within a loving fellowship. This is special. We've begun a great journey together where we are focused on loving more and more and more. I encourage you to stay, stay the course, stay on track, Let's start structuring our lives in such a way that we become examples to the next generation. And let's start teaching our 10-year-olds. I mean, just imagine if, you know, as you get older, you've got your, your 10% to the Lord always. You've got this reserve amount. And there's nowhere Scripture says to stop the reserve amount because the troubles don't quit. And that reserve amount, you're always going to need to be adding to it and saving. You've got a lot of end-of-life issues that are coming. And if you don't use it up, the, the beauty the Scripture talks about is as a righteous man is able to provide an inheritance and to give in to the next generation. So if we thought that way with the tithe and the trials amount, then we really lived off of the 70% that's left. Think about the 10-year-old. He, does, he, can, he learns to give his tithe. He learns to start saving 20%. So even he is learning to live off of 70. But when he starts looking at that 70, he says, you know, I don't have a utility bill. I don't have a food bill. I don't have a car. My parents take care of all that. So I don't need to 70%. I don't, need, I don't need anywhere close to that to live off of. Maybe I don't need any of it. So instead of... Saving 20% in the reserve, he could literally save 90%. He wants to have a little fun, save 20%. I mean, 70%. But if you just took a babysitting schedule where you're making $20 to babysit one night a week and you start saving that and saving that and start learning how to use that for the Lord, it's amazing the amount you have 
by the time you're 20 and 21. And you can start a life and say, you know, I don't know anybody, anything but love. And you can truly love a spouse. And you can truly love the Lord. And you can truly be excited about the living that God's given you by following God's plan. So they're just, I'm just trying to get you to see a vision. This command is good for us. Oh, no man, anything but love. If we can get there, you're going to see a lifestyle that's so blessed of God. And you're going to see significance and fulfillment in life, in ministry. And you're going to see yourself giving and giving to the next generation. And God's going to open the windows of heaven and pour out upon us a blessing until it overflows. That's the value of what God has given us. He told uh, the Israelites in Jeremiah 29, basically some of the same principles we have here. As I was reading through my Bible this year, I came across that and said, you know, that's how God wants us to live in the world. Uh, Jeremiah 29 is where the people of God have been taken from Jerusalem into exile. So they've been the recipients of a lot of trouble and trials. And now they're living in a secular world in Babylon. God, what do you want us to do? How do we do it? And this is God's answer to that question. Jeremiah 29, verse 4, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem. So you still see God's sovereignty. He's still the king. He's still in charge. I've sent you from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5. What I want you to do is this. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives of your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply. Do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for it in its welfare you will have welfare. God was telling the exiles, I want you to be good citizens. I want you to get into society and I want you to do it as my ambassadors. Get to the place where you really just owe no man anything but love and let people see God at work in and through you. God wants us to be good citizens. He doesn't want us to be those who are just taking from the government, but praying for the welfare of our cities and our government and being the examples to them of those who owe no man anything but love. Well, a lot lot of food for thought. I hope the Spirit of God will stir you right where you are at your place in life how to go from where you are to the next and truly do it with love. Let's pray. Father, these are big things, big ideas. It's, it's a picture of life that you put before us, how to live it well, how to live as lights, how to live as good citizens, how to keep law in order, how to be those who are decent and in order. And not always under bondage. Father, in this room there are many who feel the weight of bondage. Who feel smothered. Who feel as though there's no hope. Father, grant them a plan. 
Grant them a way out. May they see the truth of your word. May they begin to practice it and see you open for them the windows of heaven. Father, there are others of us that are halfway down the path and doing okay, but need to tweak some things to get back on track. Father, enable us to do that. And Father, for those who've already found great success and blessing, may we be mentors to others that are coming along behind us. And may your church continue to grow and thrive and be the light for this world. Thank you, Father, that you're gracious to forgive, gracious to lead us to your glory and to your honor. Father, we do want to honor the King. We want to honor King Jesus and live for you well. Please forgive us for being so self-absorbed. So much of our lives, we are thinking so much of ourselves. Forgive us, O Lord. Let us think of Jesus and his way for us. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.